Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. From Allsport Magazine and Allsport.com, I'm Kevin Turner and this is the Allsport Podcast. The 2021 World Endurance Championship kicks off at Spa this weekend, but it's not just the start to a new season. To discuss the beginning of what could be a special era for sports car racing, I'm joined by Allsport's long-term endurance racing guru and Le Mans veteran, if I can call you that, Gary Watkins, and Allsport Plus editor, James Newbold. Gary, let, let's start with the with the basics. Could you please explain the basics of the new hypercar class and how it compares to the outgoing LMP1 category? Well, it's cheaper. Perhaps that is the, uh, the thing that we should kick off with. And that is why it was conceived. Uh, the sort of process, the beginnings of its conception started when Porsche dropped its bombshell in July 2017, that it was leaving the LMP1 arena. We had these amazing double hybrid cars racing in LMP1, some amazing competition between Porsche, Audi and Toyota during those opening years of the rebirth of of the World Endurance Championship. Porsche joining, of course, in uh, 2014. It was perhaps out of control. We lost Audi, we lost Porsche, and then, you know, the rug was pulled from under it. Then began the process to find something to replace it. The, I think the automotive landscape had changed in the years since the sort of since the beginning of the hybrid era at the back at the beginning of uh, the last decade. So there was this drive to produce a cheaper category, which also means a slower uh, category. So the cars are substantially heavier. Uh, they have less uh, aero and they have less overall power. The uh, conventional internal combustion engine bit of the drivetrain of the hybrids has more power, but overall, a Toyota this year has less power than uh, a Toyota last year. And the rules have been framed to make the aerodynamic targets easily accessible. So there there are minimum uh, drag and maximum downforce uh, targets prescribed in the red in the regulations. And part of the idea of that is not only to make it cheaper, but to allow the stylists to have a hand in the cars. So we're going to see perhaps beautiful racing cars with the look of a road car, 
rather than the sort of jet fighters that we had in LMP1. This is the Le Mans hypercar bit of the regulations, which allows you to run as a hybrid or a non-hybrid. Glickenhaus is a non-hybrid. Toyota is a hybrid. And then in a couple of years, we have the other way to skin a cat and enter the hypercar class. So I've just talked about the Le Mans hypercar regulations, which are part of the hypercar class. Also part of the hypercar class is LMDH, which is the other route that Porsche and Audi will be taking in a, in a couple of years' time. And those cars are based on LMP2 cars. They are hybrids, but rear axle hybrids, as opposed to the Toyota, which is a front axle hybrid. Uh, they will run a spec hybrid uh, system and off the shelf so everyone will run the run the same there's another way you can come and play in the hypercar class which is quite a, a simple but confusing thing to call it is to come with a road going car that's what aston martin were planning that provision still exists in the rules uh, it's entirely unclear if anyone is going to use it and then all these things are thrown together and they will the balance of performance will uh, hopefully create a level playing field yeah, so we'll get to balance of performance shortly. Thank you, Gary. I, I'm quite um, amazed that um, I, I said, let's start with the basics. And obviously, we're immediately into incredibly complicated sports car regulations, which uh, seems to be one of the one of the issues that we get with the category sometimes. But um, th- throwing to, to James now, if you were to look at the entry list for Spa uh, this weekend, you, you might wonder if, we, if we've gone a bit mad, because obviously there are only three cars in the top class one of which is a, is the grandfathered um, alpine entry so why are we getting uh, excited about it what what what's the sort of long term uh, rainbow at the uh, on the horizon yeah as you say kev it's uh, is a somewhat slender entry this weekend but ultimately what we've got to view this as the start of what's going to turn into something that should be rather exciting for for many of the reasons that, that gary outlined i mean just to start with peugeot coming back into it next year the rivalry between peugeot and audi during what we can call the the diesel wars was just thrilling for year after year um that rivalry went from peugeot's entry in 2007 until its um, exit right on the eve of the the 2012 season which is when well, that came as quite a shock, frankly, and we were expecting at the start of the World Endurance Championship era in 2012 to have a, a three-way fight between Peugeot, Audi, and the newcomer that year, which was Toyota. So we're finally going to get to see that battle that we didn't get to see back in 2012. We'll also get the renewal of the Audi versus Porsche versus Toyota three-way fight from the peak LMP1 hybrid era. Um, and then you throw in Ferrari into that and you've got as Gary points out in um, the Autosport magazine preview, um, the, the three top manufacturers of all time, the Mon wins, Porsche with 19, Audi with 13, and Ferrari with nine, um, all fighting together on track. So from 2023, we will have, uh, as, as Gary outlined earlier, at least six manufacturers. Um, Alpine at the moment is in with a an LMP1 grandfather car that, previously competed as the the rebellion r13 um, and we don't know yet whether they're going to enter a uh a Le Mans hypercar an lmdh car or, or quite what they're going to do um and Glickenhaus is kind of the the boutique niche manufacturer that isn't especially widely known but it does have some motorsport pedigree i was at the nurburgring 24 hours in 2017 when when Glickenhaus surprised everybody by taking pole quite looking forward to seeing what what those cars can do when they're homologated and they join the the party this year um even if it's somewhat confusing for people who don't quite have a handle on all the acronyms that are involved with lmh and lmdh um the years that they're coming into play and it can seem a little confusing having two different rule sets um when we've got this lmdh rule set that allows the same manufacturer to enter a car in IMSA and in WEC, um, I think that would be really exciting with the potential for, for manufacturers to sell customer cars, which we didn't have in the LMP1 era because the cars were just too complicated and too expensive for a, for a customer to plausibly run them. Um, so it should be a really exciting era that should attract people that 
aren't habitually interested in sports car racing just because of the, the manufacturers that are going to be drawn in. I think Ferrari being there is, is you know, be, Ferrari is Ferrari. It's, it's difficult to put your finger on the mystique of the brand, isn't it? I'm not sure if it's, uh, if it, if it's, uh, Enzo Ferrari's dark glasses or, or whatever, or Gilles Villeneuve, uh, Alberto Ascari. You could go on and on and on, couldn't you? Uh, I, I, I think, yeah, I can't put my finger on it, but I think it, it, it will help bring sports car racing in general, Le Mans to a wider audience. And there's also the sort of people are banging on about the Porsche versus, um, Ferrari, uh, rivalry being re- renewed. It's not such a big rivalry to me because it was quite short-lived in a way. If you if you look back to those classic times, you know, if you think of, you know, does anyone really remember the five twelve from the uh, nine seventeen era? You know, it's it's a bit overlooked. But um, but then but then you know we is we have those the you know the in as the Americans would say the free winningest marks in Le Mans history. You know. I don't think we're going to get Jaguar back uh, anytime soon. Jaguar is a manufacturer that somehow uh, failed to mark the uh, 30th anniversary of its comeback win in 1998, a couple of years ago in 2018. It just let it uh, pass it by. I don't think it's, you know, Bentley are looking what to do next. They've said Le Mans hypercar is, is of interest to them. Could it really happen? I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, there are other manufacturers out there. You know, we know we know General Motors are are looking at continuing their involvement in the top flight of the IMSA series where they can pl- compete with the Cadillac brand in, as a Daytona prototype international at the moment. As James talked about Alpine, looking at what what to do next. You know, Alpine is having a big push behind it. You know, we see we see the Renault team rebranded in uh, Formula One. So, so yeah, I think there's 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 more good news news to come definitely. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty excited about. It. I think I've been fairly open before about my um, enthusiasm for sports car racing. I think the thing I'm most excited about. I mean, the, I completely accept what Gary says. The Porsche Ferrari thing was very very brief. When Ferrari was actually doing its winning at Le Mans, Porsche was still in the smaller classes. Uh, and then exactly. when, when Porsche got into the big stuff, uh, Ferrari almost immediately left. So it was really a sort of 1970, really, was the only time they were really properly at each other's throats. Uh, and then obviously Porsche's um, sequence started from then. I mean, if I was a betting man, I'd put, I'd put money on Porsche over Ferrari in, a, in that context. But um, given that 917 is my favourite racing car, that's perhaps not a huge surprise. But the other thing I, I kind of like about these rules is it raises the prospect of privateers with these cars as well. Because one of the things I think we really lacked during the LMP1 period, which was fantastic, was this ability to go and but you know nobody went and bought a 919 hybrid you couldn't go and buy a 919 hybrid or the audi or the toyota and join in in the way that lots of teams did doing group c yost obviously in particular um so i think that's quite an appeal as well um but 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 gary uh we should probably look at the, the negatives as well i mean there are some potential pitfalls here and i guess the most obvious one is probably the uh, the balance of performance, which is a, a horrible, necessary evil in modern motorsport, really. Um, but yeah, how are they going to balance the LMH and the LMDH cars? And then, of course, the, the road-based cars, if someone does come along with one, it's it's quite a tricky technical exercise, that. Absolutely. I think, you know, I like you, I'm not a fan of BOP. If someone was to suggest we had BOP uh, in Formula One, and there have been a few sort of little tickles at it max mosley had his sort of two-tier rule idea didn't he for example someone suggested it in formula one you'd be you would more or less be laughed out of out of the paddock wouldn't you but yet we've got it right at the front of the of another world championship the world championship that includes the biggest what is the biggest race in the world to my mind the le mans 24 hours should we have bop i think in an ideal world no we shouldn't uh, unfortunately, we don't live in an ideal world, and perhaps the world of the hypercar class is less ideal, even even more, because the sort of the tortuous route to which the, these new uh, rules have emerged. Don't forget that back in two thousand and eighteen, in December, the World Motorsport Council signed off one set of Le Mans hypercar rules. 
the set the rules we've got now are very very different what we shouldn't forget is that the starting point of the of both sets of rules with prescribed aero numbers i think that's key to the balance the power curve of the cars is prescribed so it's laid down there in your bop table before the race we got the one for spa last week uh peak power so there's a peak power and then the power all the way through the curve is laid down uh there's the advantage of running a hybrid well they're I think there will be an advantage, but it's mitigated because the power curve is a total power. So, so that's one thing. You're not. It's not like in the old LMP1 days where uh, that boost from the hybrid system, particularly at, at, at the front end, is is an amazing performance tool. It allows you to buzz through the traffic and things like that. So you can't do that because it's sort of you know your power is laid down. Uh, by the by the chart then of course there's not a the traction advantage is dramatically reduced because the hybrid power can't kick in until the car is doing 120 kilometers an hour and in the wet it's even higher so it's between 140 and 160 we still haven't got the figure uh, from the rule makers, the FIA and the ACO, but it will be higher in the wet. So, so people who are saying that, uh, oh yeah, well, the 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 hypercar is going to disappear when it rains. Well, I'm sure they will have an advantage. They will have some kind of advantage, but it's not going to be uh, a mega advantage because of the what what we call the 120 rule. And then there's the whole tire life issue. And this is so complicated, isn't it? You know, uh, in 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 so many ways I'd like sports car racing to be simpler so uh, it it can be more accessible. We've got this great era coming when uh, when we're having all these brands that will hopefully draw people in and then we have to explain to them why one car is winning and one car isn't. And we, we start talking about BOP and power curves. Yeah, I'm not sure how, how good that is at drawing people in. Anyway, in LMH, there are two different uh, routes. of. In LMH, you can there are two options uh, on tyre and wheel sizes or tyre sizes. It's the total dimension. You can have equal 14-inch uh, front and rears, or you can have uh, the second route, which is a smaller front and a bigger rear. So the Glickenhaus is running a bigger rear tyre, 15-inch rear tyre, whereas the Toyota is running uh, 14s all round. So that hopefully will compensate for any um, tyre longevity advantage that comes with putting some of your power through the front end before i move on to back to james i've got another another question for you gary which is related to that which is lmh is in a way a purer form of going hypercar racing isn't it you're developing your own car in the way that toyota has done and ferrari are very vocal about that's the way they want to go uh and the implication being that that's pure but also more expensive so do you see a point down the line where you know we've got audi and porsche with kind of an lmp2 off the shelf situation people like Ferrari and Toyota are surely going to kick off if they get beaten by an LMDH car. So do you think that this could get, longer term, this could get quite political, couldn't it, and off track? If you look back to the mid-2000s and sort of the introduction of the BOP and GT racing, uh, not only um, in the Monrules racing, but also in the FIA GT Championship, there was a lot of gamesmanship, uh, a lot of sandbagging, a lot of politicking. Uh, that was the name of the game. But I think... Uh, in these days, there's a lot more data. There's a lot more transparency. Um, and I think GTE Pro and the auto system introduced a few years ago uh, has sort of taken the controversy out of it. You know, it's, it is a topic of interest, but it's not. you're not accosted by drivers uh, every second step as you walk through the paddock having a whinge about uh, the BOP like in the old days. Yeah, ideally, like you say, Gary, ideally you wouldn't have it, but we wouldn't have the big grids, would we, uh, or the potential of big grids if we didn't have it. You know, look at GT3. It's got to be one of the most successful categories in recent history, and it's because all the manufacturers know they can produce cars that are potentially going to win races and championships, um, uh, it, it, you know, if, if, if they do a decent enough job. So it's kind of a necessary evil. We've got slower top-class cars, effectively. There aren't that many of them. 
uh, and the LMP2 cars have got a greater choice when it comes to their wet weather tyres. So could we see an LMP2 car on the overall podium or even winning a race? Um, and I guess the second part of that question is, is that something that we want? It's a really interesting question, isn't it? I think, is it likely to see an LMP2 car on the overall podium? Absolutely. Um, given that we've only got three cars in the top class, uh, you know, the basic maths suggests that you lose one, then or one has a, a significant delay which is always possible when you've got cars that are in the early stages of their development, which the Toyotas and the Glickenhouses, uh, when they join later in the year, will be, um, then yes, absolutely. I suppose the caveat to that is that uh, the LMP2 cars have been slowed this year. Um, the the Gibson V8 engine in the LMP2 car, uh, it's, a, it's a spec engine that all of them use, uh, has been detuned this year, so it's around 60 horsepower down on last year. And they're also having to run the low downforce uh, Le Mans aero kit at all the circuits um, where previously they would have had a, a higher downforce kit um, that would have been more suited to um, conventional circuits. Le Mans, with its long Mozan straights, being somewhat of an outlier. Um, so the, the the cars themselves will maybe be that bit more squirrely and difficult for the drivers to handle and have a little bit less poke on the straights um, because the hypercar cars um, are going to be that much slower than the LMP1 cars. Um, They've got a target lap time at the moment of around 3 minutes 30 seconds, which is slower than the fastest LMP2 race lap last year, which was in the mid 3 minutes 27 seconds bracket. So that shows that the FIA doesn't want it. As for whether it will actually happen, um, it, it is really difficult because... I don't know how much we can take testing into account here, but in uh, the, the testing at, at Spa earlier this week, um, the fastest time overall was set by an LMP2 car by Nick De Vries in the G-Drive car, which ended up half a second faster than the, the quickest hypercar, which was Sebastian Buemi's Toyota. Um, the the Alpine has a has a 100 kilogram weight penalty for, for this weekend. So uh, although that car is, is well proven, um, the Signatec team that's running it doesn't know it particularly well. Um, so it's really difficult to say what we can expect from the Toyotas and from the Alpine. Um, but what we do know is that the LMP2 cars are well proven. Um, they're from a regulation cycle that came into force in 2017 and they're spec cars, so they haven't changed all that much and their reliability is about as good as it can be. And there are some pretty good teams and, and driver lineups in that class. You've got you know, United Autosports, Jota Sport, um, and WRT new for this year. So really top teams that, that don't make mistakes. As for whether we want it, I suppose those giant killing results like Porsche winning Petit Le Mans with a GT car outright in 2015, which was a wet race where the Michelin tyres on the Porsches really came into their own um, against the Continentals that were used by the, the, the Daytona prototypes really came into their own. And you know, we all remember the ending to the 2017 Le Mans 24 Hours, which was a, a bit of a shocker for the LMP1s on reliability. And you had the Jota Sport LMP2 car that was leading outright for a while being chased by the Porsche. Eventually, the Porsche managed to catch it, but you ended up with um, LMP2 cars finishing second and third on the podium. And it, you know, made for a really interesting and different race. Of course, we don't want to see that all the time. Um, and it probably would damage the spectacle of, of sports car racing. But I think as a, as a one-off occurrence every once in a while, it probably would be quite interesting, at least until we get the additional manufacturers that are coming in, um, at which point you'd, you'd like to, to, to think that that wouldn't, be, um, that wouldn't be happening. I think those freakish one-off victories are very much, as you say, James, very much part of the, the history uh, and the appeal of of sports car racing look at local hero jean rondeau winning le mans in 1918 in a car bearing his own own name i think that's you know that's just, you know he was the little guy okay he won le mans in a year you know not that many uh, not that much factory participation you know there were these sort of weird and wonderful victories kramer winning uh a world championship race in 1985 at, at Monza when a tree fell across a, the track and the race was stopped. Kramer winning Le Mans in 19, um, 
79 with with a group 5 uh, gt car of sorts it is a gt car rather it extreme one you know with with two paying drivers um you know i think well, these are very much part of the rhetoric of of sports car racing whether we'd want to see it happening every time you know we've seen in the testing that the as as you say that the the p2s appear quicker clearly the toyota has has more to gain uh don't forget that one of the cars the number seven car which is a brand new car uh untested until yesterday well it remained untested through most of yesterday because it had series of electronic and hydraulic glitches uh that that prevented sort of one prevented it from doing more than one proper lap yesterday it sort of put about 80 in today so it's getting there uh so clearly there's there's a lot to learn from toyota what we don't know is if you think back to Spa and certain editions of the six hours or the 1,000 kilometers, people have often run Le Mans Aero. One year, Toyota ran a mixture across its free car campaign, and they were very similar in pace around the lap on race pace and one lap pace. So there, I would argue that running the low downforce uh, is less of a handicap at Spa than it will be at other tra- tracks, for example, Algarve. Of course, you look, but then you look at the the sector times and then it, the P2s are flying through the middle sector at Spa, uh, you know, with the double left-hander uh, at Puon, which sort of might suggest to the contrary. But just, just on what we've seen before, I think this could be a bit of a an, an outlier uh, in terms of uh, where the in terms of the balance between P2 and the hypercars. And there's also the the one extra factor this year that is the the change in tyre supplier for the majority of the teams. Now that we've got Goodyear um, taking over as the sole supplier for LMP2, where the majority actually used Michelin before. Last year it was only Jota that used the Goodyear tyres of the regulars in the WEC. And at Le Mans we had this brilliant fight that went down to the wire between United Autosports on the Michelins and Good uh, and Jota on, on the Goodyears. Um, so the majority of the teams this year having to learn a new tyre, whether that will make much of a difference to the competitive order, I don't know, but it's another just uh, an interesting factor to take into account um, as, as the LMP2 cars try and see how high up the overall order they can get. Goodyear has an intermediate at the uh, disposal of the... Uh of the P2 runners where Michelin has opted not to produce an intermediate uh, for this season. Um, it's been a subtle tweak in the, the tyre rules, but uh, we've seen in the past the Goodyear Inter and its predecessor from the sister brand Dunlop, the intermediate was absolutely amazing in certain conditions. And Spa is a kind of track that can throw up those uh, conditions, you know, the fickle Ardennes weather. Uh, so and rain is forecast so i think that could throw something else uh into the mix for this weekend so uh yeah i think there are plenty of reasons to believe that a uh, p2 car uh will be on the podium and could win this race i think i think it's reliability it's pace and it's weather yeah, I'll, I'll take I'll take the point that um, you guys like, uh, and that sports car racing does have a history of these sort of random one-off giant killing performances. Um, I, in fact, this debate came up um, with various readers after the 2017 Le Mans when yeah, an LMP2 car wasn't going to win if you know, if the Porsche hadn't caught it and all that sort of thing. My view on it is perhaps um, perhaps I'm a, a little bit more impurist in the sense that um, you know if the if we're we're excited about the big manufacturers coming in in the, in the top class then you don't really want them to be blown off by an off the shelf raker that nobody's sort of heard of so while i think there's a one-off here and there i mean a one-off at the first round perhaps wouldn't be ideal um so but yeah certainly longer term you don't want you don't want the lmp2 cars to be given the hypercars a run i think that would give yeah that would give the organizers a problem if the if the big names were getting beaten by those sorts of machines um but yes, it could well happen. Uh, could well happen this weekend at, at Spa. Um, but um, Gary, just looking at some of the other things that are new, we've got a new qualifying format as well. They've done away with the aggregate uh, qualifying they've had the last few years. Now we're going to see, I guess, a more traditional one driver, one lap format. I wasn't going to call it new. It's just, as you said, traditional. It's it's reverting to 
normal you know they experimented with this aggregate thing from 2013 i thought it was laughable at at the beginning i thought what is this about and if you remember way back at, at the start for the first two years it was actually based on an aggregate of four laps two laps by each driver then it went down to uh, one lap uh, by the end i'd got used to it and i sort of quite liked it in the end but at the time i railed against it because i thought it was stupid you know for me qualifying is track driver car stopwatch off you go you know it, it doesn't need to be more than that uh did i did i actually did it grow on me yes it did but i'm i'm quite happy that we're back to man on woman against clock because we have a record number of uh uh females racing in uh, WEC this year a record number for any uh FIA world championship actually with uh, six drivers James on the on the uh, the other reverting traditional element of this season which is something that I was annoyed with is that we've lost the the winter format which was just set up by the super season you were annoyed with losing the winter format no no, no you were annoyed with the winter I was, format i was annoyed with the winter format i, ah, I think it's absolutely okay, okay. fine for formula e to do something different and fill the winter space and have this ridiculous championship that's across two years um but i think a, a more established uh category or, or championship should really just my person be sticking to the calendar year rather than the cross two years i think that's a bit of a nonsense so that's one of the few positives of the pandemic is that we've got a world endurance championship which is now sensibly within a calendar year obviously we've only got six rounds um for 2021 but that does include a return to the historic monza circuit which i think should be part of a, a, an international sports car uh sports car um schedule so so what do you think james is that a pretty good calendar any other races that you'd like to see added on i'm sure they will be added added to over the next few years the whole the whole uh winter series format it was sort of it was conceived to make um to take away the focus on Le Mans. This is this is what it, what was talked about when it was first muted several years before it was actually introduced because it actually was only introduced last season and last season I mean 1920 because it followed on from the super season that weird thing where we had two editions of the Le Mans in uh, of the Le Mans 24 hours in in one year but it was mooted as a way of sort of curing the hangover the post Le Mans hangover which was quite exacerbated by a ridiculous uh, summer break but to my mind having Le Mans as the final race only put more focus on the biggest race on the calendar not less so it sort of detracted from the other races they were even more insignificant um so it, it was it was based on a false premise if you ask me the whole winter series format there's this idea of this sort of road to le mans the whole the sort of series building up to a crescendo but i want to go to big races uh at other circuits as well proper events and the reality is that the WEC apart from Le Mans and when we went to Sebring, doesn't have events. It just has rounds of championships. I mean, it would be wrong to slag off Spa this weekend because it's a race because of COVID taking place behind closed doors. So it's never going to be an event. But, you know, I want to go to events and feel I'm part of something rather than just being at uh, a track for a race that a few people are watching. Yeah, I mean, it's probably worth going over what the calendar is actually just briefly. So after Spa this weekend, uh, we've got um, Algarve on the 13th of June, Monza on the 18th of July, Le Mans 21st, 22nd of August. Obviously, it's been pushed back this year again. Uh, Fuji on the 26th of September and Bahrain on 20th of November. I'd go with James. I think you, you need to add in a Silverstone and obviously normally you would have a Sebring round as well. Um, I mean, Gary, do you think, for me... The big sports car races outside of that, I guess, are Daytona 24 Hours and Petit Le Mans. Can we get to a point where perhaps those races could be part of a, a WEC IMSA calendar? Could they overlap for two or three rounds so that the World Endurance Championship is genuinely all the big sports car races? That's a good question. I think, first of all, there's uh, the IMSA have to cross that philosophical bridge and say, yes, LMH cars uh, can come and race in in our championship from 2023 they've they've said they're working on it and they're looking at how they could do it but they haven't sort of nailed their colors to the mast and say yes toyota whoever can come and come and come and play they're sending the right messages uh, but 
yet. They haven't they haven't said it definitively as yet. Uh, the big issue will be incorporating another grid into those races. Daytona this year didn't have a massive field, so you could sort of imagine more cars joining uh, in the form of the whole WEC, sort of dropped in lock, stock and barrel. But then you go to a track like Petit Le Mans, you know, uh, quite a small track without a long start-finish space and relatively uh, minor, relatively small uh, capacity in the pit lane. And uh, is it is it doable? They're not going to turn around and say we can't have GTD at uh, some of the big races because we've got to uh, accommodate the WEC, uh, you know, because they've they've got to look after their own house, haven't they? First, so yes, I think we will see. You know, we will see cars, cars, teams. Uh, drivers crossing between the two championships and doing those big races. Will we see Daytona in the WEC? Difficult, difficult, difficult to say that actually. Yeah, fair enough. It's just, it's just a hope I have that we could get all the, all the endurance classics in one uh, world sports car championship. But there we go. There are very practical reasons why that is unlikely to happen. One race that I am quite looking forward to seeing is Monza. Um, I was fortunate enough to be at Monza for the WEC prologue in 2017. And uh, it was just, it was brilliant seeing how many fans turned up for that, including a few Robert Kubica fans who were disappointed to see how many, or how few rather, laps he managed to achieve in the Bicolors when its rear wing fell off at the end of its only real-timed run. Um, but sports car racing and, and Monza is a is a pretty natural fit. You mentioned earlier, Kev, about the tree falling on the track mm. uh, uh, at Monza in, in 1985, which which allowed an off sequence Kramer privateer Porsche to, to win that race. Uh, and it was a, a, a regular part of the World Sports Car Championship up until 1992. So it would be great to have that back on the calendar and just to see to see top sports cars competing on another circuit where. Formula One cars are just just for that um, comparison of, of how they how they race and um, how they look around a lap because they certainly sound fantastic trackside and um, be great to, to to see how they go at Monza. We've covered off um, some of the sort of the headline stuff, um, but Gary's also picked out some other things to look out for in this uh, this season's WEC uh, in the uh, uh, All Sport magazine preview. Uh, now, Gary, a few years ago, you wrote a piece uh, for the magazine asking whether WRT was the best 24-hour racing team in the world. Um, so it's, it's now stepping up into LMP2 after years of success in GT3 competition. So, so what do you expect from them now? Do you still rate them that highly? Yeah, I mean they were—they're the sort of benchmark in GT3 racing, aren't they? They've won Nurburgring, they've won uh, Spa 24 Hours, they've won Bathurst, uh, multiple championships. I think they've won the Zolder 24 Hours, but I, I won't hold that against them. Um, you know, Vincent Voss is a guy who's competed uh, at Le Mans uh, several times as a driver. He's the boss of the team. Uh, he's very proud of the fact that he, he held. Uh, overnight pole in uh, gt1 at the wheel of a labra car labra gte car uh back in the day uh he loves le mans it was always his aspiration to take the team there uh yeah they are a top team no, no stone is left unturned uh they're playing down or vincent is playing down their chances despite uh, scoring as a maiden victory um in the first round of uh, the ELMS at Barcelona uh, a couple of weeks ago, with a with a liner a lineup with Robert uh, Kubica uh, amongst its drivers, but you know just look at the lineup he's put put together with uh, Robin Freens, Ferdinand Habsburg, and Charles Malazzi as the silver driver. You know, a young kid uh, did a bit of uh, Super Formula last year, hot shot in um, Formula Renault. Yeah, I. You look at that lineup, and uh, you know I, I say I, I want to say to Vincent, you can't play down your aspirations with that lineup. You know that's a lineup that you're going going for it. You know, and then one rival team manager who I won't won't name said mm, that gives them nowhere to hide. You know, for a, for a, a debutant team, but yeah, I think I think they're going to do well. You know, there are a lot of good teams and a lot of good drivers. Uh, but, you know, the silver is so important and someone like Malaysia, I think, yeah, 
he looks he he's he's up there with the with the best silvers, isn't he? Yeah, it should be a should be a strong lineup uh, uh, in in a very strong class, as is, and it might end up being a fight for overall victory, as we previously previously well, mentioned. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but James, I mean, looking looking at the 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 GTE cars as well. No, another exciting element of this weekend is Corvette Racing contesting a wet ground in Europe outside Le Mans for the first time. Yeah, we've talked about WRT there, but but the Corvette team must be considered one of the best endurance team of this century as well, shouldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Pratt & Miller squad that runs Corvette Racing has been at the, the top level of whatever GT class it's competed in over the past 20 years, um, whether that's GTS, GT1, uh, briefly GT2, before it then became renamed as, as GTE Pro. Um, I mean, it's faced differing levels of competition over that time. Um, famously, the, the battles with the ProDrive um, run Ferraris and then Aston Martins in the in the noughties. Um, even though you know in the in the recent history of of IMSA GT LM up against Porsche, Ford, and BMW, it won three consecutive titles in in 2016, 2017, and 2018. And last year against uh, Porsche and BMW with its new car. Um, it, it walked it really with Antonio Garcia and, and Jordan Taylor. As you say, Kev, it hasn't done any races outside Le Mans um, in in Europe in, in the WEC era. But of course, it didn't do Le Mans last year either with its its new car, the CAR. Um, so this will be the, the, the European debut for the car. And, and in an interesting quirk, uh, it will be shared by Oliver Gavin and Antonio Garcia, both um, long-term Corvette racing drivers but they've not actually been teammates sharing the same car before. So it will be, uh, on a personal note for them, I'm sure, um, great to, to share a car. And, and for Ollie Gavin as well, who um, dropped out of the Corvette racing lineup at the end of last year after 19 unbroken seasons of service, um, getting his, his first shot um, back in, in the team um, in, in a different setting to usual at Spa. Um, it's, it's, it is a welcome antidote, really, to Aston Martin, um, dropping out of, of the WEC GT Pro class, given that Aston has been, you know, a, a stalwart supporter itself since the WEC started, along with Ferrari, it's the only team that has entered a factory team at every at every race. Given that um, Porsche dropped out for a season um, before its new mid-engine car came, um, so it, it is difficult to to predict how the future really will look for GTE Pro, given the LMDH coming in for 2023 um, will we'll, we'll take up a lot of resources for Porsche. Ferrari, of course, is going to be putting a lot of resources into its hypercar program for 2023. And both manufacturers have committed to, to staying in for 22. Um, but with GTLM basically being booted out by IMSA in favour of a new GTD Pro class for GT3 cars that are um, specced up a little bit. Um, the the Corvette also has a has an uncertain future. We may be sort of witnessing the sort of end of an era, really, or the start of an end of an era, at least, um, compared to the sort of pomp of GT Pro a couple of years ago when we had um, full factory teams from from Ford, um, BMW, Aston, Ferrari, and Porsche. Um, all, all at the same time, as well as Corvette lumped in for Le Mans, we should at least try and enjoy what we have while it's while it's still here. And, and Corvette joining the party um, this weekend hopefully will be the first of many times that it um, chooses to bring the car over and, and make use of it while uh, while the regulation set is still here. Really, well, that's something I want to go to to Gary on actually the future of the GT class. Um, I mean, we've got a world champion Le Mans winner competing in it this year with Neil Yarny as well, sort of uh, c- coming into t- to the GT category. But that strikes me as being more about preparing for Porsche's sort of proper return. Um, you know, the GT, I think it's fair to say that GT has provided some of the best races in WEC uh, and IMSA actually as GTLM over the last few years in endurance racing. But, you know, is it fair to say we've seen, we've seen the best days of it, Gary? Do you think they're going to have to get rid of GTE eventually? I think... You know, there's going to be uh, a reshuffle of the GT realm, the sphere of GT racing. I've, you know, the ACO and the FIA are committed to GTE Pro through to the end of next year. Beyond that, I don't think there will be any 
factory teams wanting to do it. Could GTE Pro become the realm of privateer teams running all pro lineups? I don't think so. Uh, I don't think there's the money there. You know, paid paying drive paying drivers are going, are are naturally going to go towards the ams. You know, and probably paying drivers who aren't bronze or silver rated are probably want going to want to be in a P two and then an LMDH or or, or whatever. So I, I think GTE Pro will wither and die. There's clearly still room for um, a GT crack category for amateur drivers so you now now in the uh in gtem there's a you have to have either two bronzes or a bronze and a silver in your free free uh uh man sorry free driver lineup so i think there is uh, a need there whether whether gte can have a life beyond 2022 i don't know you know we've got new rules coming for gt3 cars Will it gravitate towards GT3 racing? I think the answer is probably because the manufacturers won't want manufacturers won't be building GTE cars because there isn't. It's a very slim market. I think the answer is probably GTE um, will hang around and it will become a category for GTE cars. It might have a life beyond 2022, but deep into this decade, I, I very much doubt it. Yeah, it just seems completely logical to me that it will end up with GT3. You know, GT3 is so successful. There are so many cars, so many manufacturers, so many drivers, a lot of whom, as Gary says, you know, are, are paying drivers. They want to go They want to go up maybe from the national championship to Blancpain. You know, perhaps the aim would be to be the GT3 world champion in the World Endurance Championship. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense, particularly as Imps are already going down that down that road. So, um, yeah, I think I'd sort of su- support the James's earlier comment that GTE has been fantastic and it's been something to enjoy. But I think probably, as this always happens with GT racing, the, the next category down will probably become the main one. We've seen that happen so many times before. Um, so so perhaps we're, I think we're getting towards the end now of, of the main part of the wet preview, but I'm just going to ask you both, I'm going to put you both on the spot Um Go to James first. Yeah, who's going to win out this season in in the top class? Who do you reckon? Uh, yeah, it's, it's got to be Toyota, hasn't it? Even if they get beaten by an LMP2 car here and there, they're gonna they're gonna do most of the winning, aren't they? From a pure numerical perspective of having two cars um, versus one Alpine and two Glickenhauses that are going to miss the first and maybe second race of the year, you'd you'd expect yeah that the logical money would be on Toyota. As always, it's it's really difficult to tell which of those two lineups is, is going to come out on top. Um, the reigning champions, Mike Conway, Kamui Kobayashi and Jose Maria Lopez in, in car seven, going up against Sebastian Buemi, Brendan Hartley and, and Kazuki Nakajima. They're as evenly matched driver pairings as you're likely to find. So um, without wanting to get splinters, I'll just say a Toyota. A, a Toyota will win the championship. Uh, they're there from the beginning, and you know there's only six races, so that's significant. That Glickenhaus uh, are missing a race. Okay, Alpine only one car, so you know the maths is against them. Uh, I think the championship. I think it's a toss of a coin of the championship. I think with a new Toyota, the championship will be decided by reliability, uh, and it's potluck who. Who gets who gets the you know the good reliability and who gets the bad reliability on pass form? You'd probably say the bad luck is going to fall to uh, Conway, Kobayashi, and Lopez. Maybe things are going to turn in their in their favour. But I really I really think that we'll be looking back on this championship and saying, well, they won the championship because they ha- only had two DNFs, and this car lost the championship because they had three DNFs or. A DNF and two major problems where they lost a, a shed load of time. I think you know that's that's the inevitability of uh, a new car. All, all we know is that we can say with a reasonable amount of certainty that number seven isn't allowed to win Le Mans. So number eight car will win <laughs> Le Mans, and then we'll see what happens in the other five rounds as to who wins the championship. <laughs> um, well, thanks, guys. Um, is there anything else uh, that you'd like to raise that you think we've missed before I? I go on to what else is in this week's magazine. I want to know, Gary, how many Le Mans will it be that you've covered, including this year? 
Last year was my 30th. What's the record number of starters, starts for a particular driver? Pescarolo, 33. So I'm, I'm catching so you're them up. closing in, yeah. Gary Watkins look, aiming to, to get more Le Mans caps than Henri Pescarolo. Have you got four wins under your belt, though? No, I haven't. And I, I'm, sure there, I'm, sure there are, there, I'm sure there are hundreds of journalists who've, who've done more Le Mans than me. I'm sure there must well, be. I mean, Paul know. Ferrer, of course, did actually win it and covered it quite a few times yeah but i i you know people say records are there to be beaten but i actually think pescarolo's uh record will never be beaten to do that race 33 times is just like you know it's exceptional but it was he came in as a youngster on mattress books so he was doing it when he was young he went out as a guy who was sort of segueing into team ownership, working with Elf and its Lafiliere program, acting for a mentor as a mentor to uh, some youngsters of their day. So I think you know, just it's unlikely that those two things will 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 uh, coincide again. Probably fair enough, but it does mean that I think we should do a podcast on Pescarolo. So that's perhaps one to it's one to, to put on the list for a future date, perhaps. Um, but um, thank you very much, uh, Gary Watkins and James Newbold, for uh, talking us through the World Endurance Championship preview. Um, as I say, uh, Gary's work appears in the 29th April issue of All Talk magazine, uh, which also includes uh, a look at the rise of Lando Norris, uh, where we ask whether he can beat George Russell to being Britain's next F1 world champion. Uh, we also report from the incredibly tight rally Croatia and frankly chaotic scenes at Valencia as Formula experienced one of its most controversial weekends. <laughs> uh, it was also a bumper weekend for UK motorsport, so we pick out the highlights from events at Silverstone, Brands Hatch, Cadwell Park, Lydenhill, Donaldson Park, Sneston and Prescott. Really good to see UK motorsport uh, and the entries for the, a lot of those meetings were really good as well. So good to see uh, such strong uh, support for those events uh, after the pandemic. Uh, to keep up with the World Endurance news and action at Spa, as well as the Portuguese Grand Prix, be sure to head to allsport.com this weekend. Thank you for joining us. We'll be back soon with another Allsport podcast. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hey, what's up, guys? This is MMA fighter Clay Guida, and I'm not afraid of anyone or anything, but losing my hair was an entirely different kind of fight. So if you're suffering from hair loss like I was, then you've got to check out my boys at Bosley. Pound for pound, they are the champions of hair restoration. That's why I turned to Bosley to get my hair back. The entire Bosley team was so professional and kind from start to finish. All it took was a simple one-day procedure, and I was on my way back to rocking my full hair again. So take it from me. Don't wait if you are thinning or receding. I'm so thrilled with my results, I just wish I would have went to Bosley sooner. It's time to finally knock out hair loss because the best is yet to come. Check out Bosley today. When MMA fighter Clay Guida was losing his hair, he trusted Bosley to get it back. Now it's your turn. Get a free information kit, plus get a $250 off gift card when you text CLAY to 203203. Text CLAY to 203203. Or go to bosley.com. That's bosley.com. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.